In Camden Town, I'll meet you at the underground In Camden Town, we'll walk there as the sun goes down In Camden Town Welcome to Camdeners, the official podcast for the Camden Clean Air Initiative with me, Geoffrey Young. In this podcast, we get to know and discover the lives of Camdeners, those special individuals shaping the unique and vibrant culture of the borough of Camden. Today, we're here in the studio with Una O'Hagan, Senior Lecturer and Knowledge Exchange Leader at Central St. Martins. Welcome, Una. Hi. I wonder if you give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you came to the current role. So I'm Glaswegian and I moved here when I was very young, uh, like Dick Whittington came down to London. I actually studied at Central St. Martins. I did my degree in textiles and that was in the big Southampton Row building, which no longer is part of the college. You might have spotted it in some films. I think the, is it the Enigma Code? It use, they use it a lot in films now. It's a beautiful building. And then I did my degree, um, so my degree was textiles. My master's was fashion design specialising in print. I did that over in Charing Cross building. And um, I, w- I worked in industry, I worked as an art director, I worked at fashion magazines, etc. And then I started teaching. So for over, I mean, over 20 years I've taught, but for the last decade I've worked at Central St. Martins. I was essentially a head of a department, the fashion textiles department. For our foundation students, there are newbies, they're like the freshmen. And um, last year, a really exciting role came up called uh, a knowledge exchange leader. Knowledge exchange is basically the government has created another sort of stream of funding, not just research, um, looking at how universities can make sure they're having a practical output into industry. So it's, it's great because we already quite often are working with external collaborators and this now just sort of formalizes it and helps support it so that we're not just doing things and they're staying in a dusty library. It's things that have an amazing output. So we work with charities, we can work with private sector and council. So work a lot with like Camden Council. So my job is to meet people really and then look at how we can help them with creative solutions or creative endeavors with whatever they're doing. So that's where my role is now. Even though my my background is fashion textiles, I work across programs. So I'll work with lots of different like product design, industrial design, fine art. So it's really good fun. Full on, but good fun. Well, we're blessed to have, you know, such an institution in the borough of Camden. Yeah, absolutely. What if you can give us a little bit of background on um, the institution itself? Yeah, super interesting. So in the late 1890s, you had St. Martin's. And I think it was in the Southampton Row building. And it was mainly for fine art. It would have been an art school. Um, And then you had Central School, which was more based around design. It did have art and fine art. And it would have also been more this idea of training boys, men, probably predominantly, um, into apprenticeship and design. And so it's got an amazing history of things like typography. You know, a lot of typography that we probably don't think about will have been generated by designers that went through Central. And then in 1989, they merged to become Central St. Martins. There was a massive brouhaha. Everybody was like, it's going to be the worst thing ever. And actually, it just became an explosion of creativity um, because you had art and design together, which is really important because it means you you get a synergy, you can work together. And if you study at Central St. Martins now, 
It means if you're working on something, you actually want to speak to a jewelry, jewelry designer or you want to speak to somebody doing some sort of performance design, they're there. They're all on campus. So mm. in 2011, the whole of CSM um, moved up to Granary Square up at King's Cross, the new huge development there. So we're part of the Knowledge Quarter. We've got loads of amazing neighbours um, and we quite often affiliate with them as well. Um, people will know that LVMH, Google, et cetera, all based around there. So again, it really helps embed this idea of creative education and having practical outputs, you know, moves away from that notion, which I really hate of artists being just a troubled, penniless artists. I know lots of very successful, non-troubled artists. Yeah. And you know that creativity is so important in so many fields. Um, you know, we work a lot with things like Great Ormond Streets, Science, just if you think recently about how with COVID they needed to show, make animations to show what the virus looked like. So mm. the layman, we could understand what the heck this thing was. So yep. creativity, uh, you know, and creative endeavors are really important. So that's that's a bit about the history of how wow. it came to be. Um, and what's the vision today? Oh, that's a really good question. So the the college is part of the University of the Arts, which is seven colleges, and it has very clear strategies. So we have our strategies for 2032. They call them guiding principles, and we have three guiding principles. And the first is that we are giving and making the best creative education possible for our students so that they have, you know, a successful career and life in this evolving world. That's the first sort of, we call them that GP1. GP2, and this is really interesting, is making sure that we are giving a creative education to everyone, that everyone who wants to or is interested or thinks they could be using their creative abilities can, that there are no barriers. So we're interested in things, um, I mentioned working with hospitals, so you know maybe training people who are in hospital for a very long time, that there's the creative opportunity. We work with prisons quite a lot, this idea that rather than just being a punitive you know, situation, that actually we can maybe guide people into different directions. Maybe it's just cathartic. You know, a lot of people, it can help with um, mental health issues, for example. And also um, lifelong learning, people who maybe want to change their career paths. So we have um, older mature students all the time. Mm -hmm. And also we have um, outreach programs to make sure that um, very young kids, I teach kids that are 10, 11-year-olds, who maybe have come from families that have no creative interest or nobody's gone to university, that we can make sure they can access that and that's a, a potential for them. So we're not losing any of this amazing original creativity because um, UK's got amazing innovation, um, but it often isn't seen as a career path. And actually, as the, you know we've talked about the strategies, as things evolve, it's becoming more and more clear that creativity and transferable skills are, are going to be number one. Um, and the the last um, guiding principle is really about being this trailblazer um, in this ever-evolving world and making sure we put out our creative endeavours. And so that ties in with things like we we can talk about sustainability, but I think we would call it more sort of evolution. Uh, we talk about we've got a new course called MA Regenerative Design. And that's very much looking not just about being sustainable as in thinking about humans, but thinking about our planet. 
Um, we have lots of really interesting research hubs and groups. So we have the Climate Emergency Network, who again look at our curriculums and look at how we can embed uh, new thinking and evolving thinking. So making sure things like we're not using virgin materials, we're always recycling things where possible. That would be an example of making sure about that. And then so things like inclusivity, sustainability are all massively, massively um, important. Okay. So stepping back one one little moment um, yeah. before I'd like to get into this, the whole sort of topic of fashion and sustainability. Oh, yeah. Um, what, you know, just a, a snapshot of the types of courses that students could take yeah. at, at the college. You know, just a kind of a, yeah, a kind of a short list of the what, types what you of could courses. Do, yeah. yeah, if I was wanting to. So if you were at school thinking about, you think you want to do something creative, but you don't know what, you would probably become a foundation student, student because that's a diagnostic course. It kind of works out and helps you find out where your skills lie, what your strengths are, so you can have a long career as well. Um and we split that into curriculum areas. We have 3D, which covers from small design, 3D design, so like jewellery, up into architecture and everything in between. So that can be industrial design, product design, um, accessories, footwear. And then we have another department that would be fine art practice. So that can cover film, photography, sculpture, uh, painting, so very classical um, teaching, but also then we have 4D, so this idea of moving into things like VR, augmented reality, performance. So that's fine art. Then we have my department, which would be fashion and textiles. And within that, you would also be thinking about biodesign, where that's using natural products to make new materials. Um, and then the last one we call um, communication design, which has an element of like graphic design that we'd know of. Um, that's how you probably would refer to it historically. And then we would have illustration and a really big department, fashion communication, which covers things like styling, art direction. So those are the three, the four kind of curriculum disciplines. And they are what we would then call on degree programs. Just to summarize... 3D design. Yeah, that's one. Fine, fine art, art. Yeah. fashion and textiles, uh, yeah. and communication design. Yeah, yeah. And then under those umbrellas, yeah. there's loads of courses. So foundation sort of gives you that introduction so you understand what actually all those disciplines are. Yeah. So things like graphic design, people think will always be in front of a computer. And of course, that's not necessarily the case. Same with fine art. They think they'll just be painting. And actually, there's quite an array. So we we kind of unpack that for everybody. The education has uh, evolved a lot. The thinking yeah. around education, um, it's mind-blowing when I think of the actual philosophical and practical approach that, the, and very, very innovative approach that the yeah. university seems to be taking here. Like, oh, yeah. Gee. Um. It, I mean, we always joke that everyone should do a foundation because it's yeah. such a kind of cathartic process. It's almost mm. like counseling because you have to really work out who am I? What am I doing? What am I interested in putting out into the world? Is what I'm putting into the world ethical from, from the material to who's using it to its end of life? You know, so there's a lot of what we would call contextual and critical study within what we yeah. do as well. And by the end of that year, it's a huge learning curve, but it means our students really hit the ground running and feel very confident yeah. in the degrees they choose. And they know how to do things mm. like self-motivate, you know, work independently, how to yeah. research. So they'll always have good ideas. 
So nuts and bolts, how many students approximately? On foundation, there's 650 students. Yeah, and across the college? Oh, thousands. Thousands, Courses, yeah. degree courses would usually, I mean, they vary, but mm. um, fashion is the most competitive and the biggest. It's divided into, you have like fashion knit, fashion print, women's wear, men's wear, and marketing. And the, each of those strands would have at least, you know, 50. So you're a few hundred in wow. like a fashion degree. Yeah. Wow. But then you'll have smaller ones. So something like ceramics is much smaller. Yeah. It's yeah. very specific, yeah. very niche. I've always thought about it as really a fashion college, but obviously yeah. there's so much more. And we had in um, our Racing Green podcast, we had um, Paolo Tiramani, who was a, an alumni, uh, alumnus of uh, your um, college. And it was industrial design. And I was going, whoa, uh, yeah. I, I didn't realize that he's yeah. gone on to create something uh, Boxable, a business called Boxable. So right, yeah. very big impact working with the likes of Elon Musk and stuff. Wow. And it's like crazy. We have got, yeah, really cool alumni. And again, that's one of the benefits of studying there is you actually become a massive family. You have yeah. this massive network you can kind of pull on. Um, also, when you go into industry, it's kind of a reassurance quite often to employers that you've been there. Yeah. I mean, it's a very extreme, eclectic education. It's not for everyone. We always yeah. say, come and visit. Um, it is very self-motivated. I think that's why a foundation's really good, so that you're not just sort of lost in the sea of people and creativity. And yet yeah, it is known for its fashion. The fashion course is like yeah. one of the most well-known courses, yeah. probably most competitive. Um, and I think actually it's so good because it's actually part of an art school. Yeah. It's, it's not just on its own right. fashion. It's because yeah. we can feed into other areas mm. as well. I think that's... Because for me, fashion just reflects society. And so you don't want to be in a bubble just with other fashion people. Yes. Um, it's really important to be in this kind of creative, safe space. Yeah. So I think that's actually why the course is probably so successful. So difficult to get in? Very competitive? Yeah, yeah but I always say you have to be in it to win it. Um, somebody's got to get in. Yeah. Um, and also there's going to be a range. I mean, everyone's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you'll have exceptional people, but you'll yeah. also have, you know, more sort of in the middle. Yeah. Um, I, I think the main thing is we're looking for originality, durability, um, uh, interest, genuine interest. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but, you know, we go nuts if we have somebody who does a day of drawing and illustration and says they're bored. You're like, what? This is going yeah. to be... Hope, you know, 30 years of your life, you know, and this is what, you know, the the cliche we always get is a passion for fashion. I've got passion, passion for fashion. fashion. Okay. Yeah, don't put that in a statement ever. <laughs> don't ever do that. Um, and, you know, they'll know our alumni, they'll say, oh, I love McQueen. And yeah, I know. Yeah. And then actually, you know, designing is really hard work. Making something look simple, you'll know this beautiful, easy to use, accessible is actually a really complicated thing to do. So it's a hard graft. So that's the thing. We need people who are really tough as old boots, you know, willing to work really Like a Glaswegian. Hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots of Scots, a lot of Scots are infiltrating the fashion industry. Um, and it's that idea also very willing to experiment and change and evolve. We don't want someone coming with a very set idea. They need to be experimenting. And are there sort of accessible courses, vocational courses that people can join and yeah. get a flavor? And yeah, absolutely. If they go to the website, so we have short courses. Yeah. Um, loads of them. They can be Saturdays, evenings. 
um, or in holidays, you know, out of term time. So some of them are paid. Yeah. Um, there are also outreach courses. So if you're listening to this and you have kids or you are interested yourself at school, we have big outreach courses, our insights programs. So if you look that up, we also have affiliations. So we have very nearby is the Make Space and the Global Generation Garden. The Make Space, we work with local community like Summerstown. Yeah. You can come in and try things out. And then if you were interested, they'd be able to put you in contact with the relevant people. So we're, you know, our biggest anxiety would be that we only had one type of person coming. Yeah. You know, we really, really need to make sure we're we're international, you know, we're global. We need to make sure it's diverse in every level, you know, cultural, demographics, whatever. And so we make a huge effort to do that. So part, part of my job is I sometimes go and teach. So I've been in the Cam Camden and some of the local schools. Yeah. And that's always great. That's always really good fun. Kids are amazing. Yeah. I love I love talking to them. They um they keep you on your toes. And it always makes me feel really optimistic about the future, talking to them. They're really on it. <laughs> Excellent. Now let's turn to the, the hard topic of fashion textiles, yeah. often vilified. Mm. And it's a really big topic about around sort of the impact that fashion is having yeah. on our carbon footprint. What, what are your views on, on how this industry can address this? Well, it is a big topic and one that we work really hard on changing. Um, it's tricky because there's not that much policy or legal requirements. A lot of things are, you know, suggestions. So that's hard. And so I think we really take the view that we need to work it out so that what we're putting out there is going to be sustainable. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a researcher as well. I'm doing a PhD and I look specifically at that. How can we still desire things, enjoy things and take pleasure in what we see as fashion without causing massive problems or creating landfill. So already we have things, I mean, we have a very, very specific sustainability remit with our own work, but also yeah. what we're putting out. So as I said, the MA regenerative design looks very specifically at that. You know, how can we use nature? How can we work with nature as opposed to against it? Um, and the biodesign, as I said, is very specifically about that and material futures. So, for example, I'm working with a biodesigner on fabrics. Um, at the moment, speculative fabrics that are edible and right. everybody laughs. They're like, what? We're going to eat shorts? What the heck? And it's like, no, no, no. It's looking at can we make materials that are so compostable that they could be cattle feed, fertilizer, you know, if you boil them down into basically a starch, I mean, pasta is a starch, yep. you know, wallpaper paste is a starch. Um, and it shouldn't be that much of a leap of faith if you think we have uh, agriculture, we farm food and we farm cottons that we can somehow do some overlap. So there are already materials that are edible. And I do a sort of performance piece where I eat these materials. Oh, right. Yes, yeah, so I did. How it does it taste? Um Luckily, that's also a good question. It's not so much the taste that's the issue. The taste, you can add things. So you yep. can also make them good for you. You could add spirulina, oh. you know, all sorts. So she, And she put caramel taste in for me. It was actually the texture. One of them was really chewy. Yeah. <laughs> I was chewing for quite a while. So they're not, they're not feasible yet. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of research into putting out these really outlandish ideas to solve these, what we would call wicked problems. We call them wicked problems right. in the world. And... Um, 
the, she's called Cassie. Cassie's really interesting bio designer. And she just got the Lord Mayor's uh, Entrepreneur of the Year Award, where she was also looking at, um, I think it's algaes in water, like the, the recycling it and creating it and making it into new materials. So there's there's a lot going on behind the scenes in a way. Yep. And the idea is we move from this model of fashion where it's, you know, fast, it's now ultra fast, mm. you know, with, you know, we don't have retail shops anymore. Mm. Um, and that rather than even trying to break that cycle, if we can't change people's way of doing it, we will change the materials so that the impact is not there. And then maybe in the long term, people will change the way they behave. Yeah. But we see it that we can't expect a customer just to change. Yeah. And actually, food and fashion are quite interesting because it's it's similar to fast food. It's kind of cruel to be putting things out into the world and then blaming the, the consumers for yep. consuming it. So we're going back to us as the designers and working with scientists and going, look, how can we actually change the materiality of this? Yep so that it has less of an impact. And then maybe laterally, the, you know, the way we uh, make it commerce, we make money from this, yeah. we'll move away from the actual object and it'll become more maybe about experience. And that's, that's already happening, especially after COVID when retail really struggled to get people into their shops. They realized things like maybe sort of some sort of loyalty experience if you're one of their shoppers would be good. So you'll maybe sort of invest in a brand as opposed to just buying tons of their stuff. So that would be a really exciting change as well. And that's that's definitely on the horizon. Um, it just actually needs people to get behind it and, you know, publicize it. So that's why I do these sort of slapstick performances because yeah. the more the general public understand that there are options, the more they'll push for them and ask for them as well. So Wow, all that innovation. Yeah. Edible fashion becomes fast food fashion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, also, we, we're talking about Camden in the UK, but a lot of our waste goes to other countries. So Africa and Ghana, they have, they call them uh, dead white man markets. And it's where all our basically leftover charity clothes go, which on many levels, you can tell that's not good. And for their local economies, it, it really deprives their local skills, et cetera, which isn't good. And it's just a very kind of unhealthy relationship. Um, so the idea of things that can compost down, and I mean, I've talked about edible materials, but the things like fadeable dyes that are made out of bacteria, that would help as well, you know, with the chemicals, also stripping the color out so you could reuse but, you know, looking at ch changing those kind of processes and those historical kind of relationships, that's a really negative way to see, you know, another country, another continent. So that's why also we're pushing for these kind of changes. You know, Africa is a really interesting place. You know, it's become, it's an, you know, an emerging place. And there is no way we should be having a relationship where we're essentially just dumping stuff and also ruining their local economies. So that's why things like, edible fabrics sound funny and we use them as speculative, but actually there's a, a very genuine reason for looking at these. And as I said, fadeable bacterial dyes, et cetera. The, you know, the, the problem is not localized. It's, you know, very global. So yeah, it's busy. Well, yeah. So <laughs> coming back to the local now, yeah. we're based here in the borough of Camden. Yeah. You're obviously a Camdener living working and playing in the borough yeah. of Camden, um, spending a lot of time within this. 
what do you love about this part of town? Camden's amazing, isn't it? I've lived all over London um, and I now live, I actually live on the border of Camden and Barnet, which is really funny. Um, I, I love the diversity and the history. I, mm. I love walking around and seeing that it has always been quite a creative borough, you know, musicians, writers, etc. Also how uh, different every, I mean, it's, it's like a, amazing, isn't it? You can go one street to another and it'll be very, very different. And that cheek and jowl of London is amazing. But Camden really kind of summarizes it. Um, and how quickly you can go and go to something like music. If you've got something you're interested in, it not actually even no matter how niche it is, there's usually something that you can go and do or see or find an expert in that. I mean, that's why what drew, drew me to London. But Camden is a really sort of almost a hot spot of that that I think is amazing. Um, I mean, I've been, I'm now working with Camden and Barnet, um, rewilding some bits of area. And that's really exciting because not only is it going to make the place look beautiful, but, you know, there have been huge, these flash floods, you know, water running down people's driveways. You know, if we can start rewilding bits of it, you know, it's going to make such a big difference. And it's a great sort of creative endeavour. So I'm not surprised Camden are interested in doing that. Very innovative um, borough as well. So that's that's why I like living there as well. Fantastic. And working there in yeah, such an amazing there. institution. It, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, the King's Cross area is so interesting itself. I mean, I remember when it wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I quite like orientating myself when I'm there and looking, where was Bagley's nightclub? Am I where, am I, where I was dancing in a podium 25 years ago? Um and it's amazing to see how that's changed and evolved as well. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on, and it's it's crazy to see it as a destination. I do remember thinking that's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's happened. Uh, yeah. Una, thanks for joining us here today on Camdenness. No problem. Thank you for having me. And that's all this week for Camdenness. Camdeners was recorded in Serendipity Studios in Arlington Road for the Camden Clean Air Initiative.